العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنة ليوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day The topic this afternoon the miracle of the Quran is one which touches something of the essence of Islam it is part of the faith of Muslims a person who doesn't believe in the miraculous nature of the Quran is in fact according to Islamic teachers considered a non-Muslim this reality is something which or on which hinges the prophethood of Muhammad because if one denies or rejects the miraculous nature of the Quran one in fact rejects the prophethood the revelation one rejects Islam in totality so the issue of the miraculous nature of the Quran is very fundamental to Islamic belief as a means of understanding what it means to Muslims and how non-Muslims may be able to perceive or to understand that miraculous nature I will attempt in this afternoon's presentation to touch on some aspects of the miraculous nature of the Quran the first thing we could look at is the concept of what is a miracle in English according to Oxford it refers to a marvelous event due to some supposed supernatural agency from a religious point of view it represents an act or an event which is supernatural in the sense that it goes against the laws of nature and it was used by God to prove to the people to whom prophets were sent that they were in fact prophets of God and that the message that they brought was indeed from God this is from the religious perspective why were miracles necessary to prove the prophethood or the divine origin of the message brought by the prophets because human nature is such that it does not accept or submit to teachings or guidance direction unless it feels that the one who is guiding or is demanding obedience is either physically 
or intellectually stronger than the one who is called to be guided. This is human nature. A person who is calling to moral superiority does not necessarily find the, the following that one who calls to physical or intellectual uh, who calls with physical or intellectual strength one who has proven himself to be more powerful because he has behind him force or because he has an intellect which seems to be superior to everybody else's intellect so God sent along with the prophets something which would challenge the human mind would cause them to reflect to accept that the person who was bringing these superior moral codes not just moral but moral affecting not only religious practices but all aspects of life that these people were in fact bringing something which was from God the miracle confirmed the divine origin of their teachings as well as it pointed to God himself for those who had doubt about even the existence of God of course those who doubted God's existence have always historically been a minority it really in our times is, is, is an unusual circumstance where we find you know, large portions of mankind officially disbelieving in the existence of God but through history as far as we've recorded it it was a very few a very small group who actually rejected the existence of God what we find when we look at the miracles of the prophets is that whenever God gave them miracles these miracles seem to be suitable or consistent with the context in which the prophet was sent for example in the case of prophet Moses or in Arabic he's known as Musa may God's peace and blessings be upon him he was given two basic miracles one wherein when he placed his hand inside his cloak and brought it out it appeared bright and shining and the second one was that of his staff when he cast it on the ground it turned into a snake the people of Egypt to whom he was sent were noted for their reverence for the magicians magic played or had a high position within the society the magicians were next to God or next to the, the kings who were next to God they were at the, the upper end of the hierarchy of the society and as such the miracle which was brought by Prophet Musa it appeared to be similar to 
the acts of the magicians because this was what was highly regarded. And this was what now brought about the challenge wherein the Pharaoh, feeling that what Musa had with him was the same as what his magicians had, so he offered to challenge him to prove that in fact he was no greater than his own magicians and prove to the people that he was a false prophet. Of course, we're all familiar with the story which is recorded in the Quran as well as in the Old Testament. When the magicians cast their rods and staffs on the, the ground and it became or it appeared to the people to be like snakes. And Prophet Moses did the same. However, his staff became a snake that was capable of eating up the other snakes. When this took place, the magicians fell down in frustration, accepting the God of Moses and of Aaron. Because they knew that what they were doing was merely illusion. It was made to seem in the eyes of the people that they were seeing snakes. But in fact, what they had thrown had not become snakes. They did not have the ability to change the essence of nature or the nature of the, of the rods and the staff. However, what they observed in the case of what Prophet Moses did was that the nature of that staff changed. It became an actual snake, which is something which was far beyond their own abilities. And they knew this is not the work of a magician having the skills that they had, that this went beyond. This had to be, in fact, from God as Moses claimed. So that was enough to convince the magicians and many of the people. Of course there were other, you know, miracles which took place in the life of, of Moses and in the trials that he faced with the Egyptians until eventually he left Egypt with the people of Israel. But that particular incident brings out the importance of the miracles in the lives of the prophets. If we look in the case also of Prophet Jesus, we find that he was raised amongst the Jews who were noted for their medical skills. Even down to the history of the development of uh, Islamic civilization, you find that even to quite recent times, many of the leading doctors within the Islamic State were of Jewish extraction, were Jews. Muslims were not prejudicial towards Jews in the sense that they were, if they had skills, they were not uh, oppressed within Muslim uh, communities. In fact, they found a safe haven amongst Muslims when they were driven out 
of Europe, you know, uh, during the Middle Ages, etc. So, the Jewish doctors who had the skill of being able to bring somebody, you know, who has broken their leg, they were able to use their skill to mend the leg. The person who may have had a diseased eye, got disease in his eye, they would put some medicine which would help to clear up this disease. And a person who appeared to be so sick that he was on the brink of death, they would be able to bring this person back. Jesus came with miracles which went a step beyond what they were doing. Because what God gave him, or what God did on his hand, was to make the lame walk. One who was born crippled. Not one who broke his leg, but he was born a cripple. Make him walk. This is something that the Jewish doctors could not do. Furthermore, he made the blind see. Which is something, again, beyond their capabilities. And he brought the dead back to life. Of course, as it is related in the Quran, that whenever he did this, he did this in the name of God. By the will of God. Clarifying for the people that this was by the will of God. He was not claiming to do this himself, just as Moses before him or all the other prophets. When they worked miracles, it was not something which they did claiming that it was from themselves. But this was by the power of God. In any case, this was sufficient, really, to convince the people of his time, beginning with the doctors, that he came with a message from God. But God did not stop the miracles at that point. God also revealed on his hand another miracle which is recorded in the Quran which is not found in the Bible and that is that Prophet Jesus also molded out of clay birds and he would blow on the bird and the bird would fly away a living bird now this is something going even beyond the bringing of the dead back to life this is appearing to create life from that which had no life ever and this was for the purpose of convincing without leaving a shadow of doubt in the minds of the people to whom Jesus was sent that he was in fact a messenger of God similarly Prophet Muhammad may God's peace and blessings be on all the prophets had certain miracles performed certain miracles in Mecca and in Medina which convinced or were to convince the people to whom he was sent in, uh, in Mecca and Medina that he was a prophet of God there were challenges made to him. It is recorded that in Mecca he caused the moon to split. But before the eyes of the, the Meccans, the moon split into two halves, one falling on either side. That on 
certain occasions when there was a shortage of food for shortage of drink that Allah caused uh, drink and food to become plentiful at his hand however these miracles like the miracles of the prophets before their value was limited to the time in which they were performed because if somebody were to ask me to believe in the miracles of Prophet Moses and the miracles of Prophet Jesus this is something that I would have to believe on faith there is nothing you could do to prove to me that Prophet Jesus brought the dead back to life there is nothing I can touch, nothing I can feel, I can't see it so it's something I have to accept on faith similarly with the miracles of Prophet Moses and many of the miracles of Prophet Muhammad may God's peace and blessings be on all of them however since Prophet Muhammad may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him was to be the last of the prophets of God it was necessary that he also be given a miracle which would last till the end of time if his was to be the last message then the miracle which would prove the authenticity of the message would also have to be a lasting miracle which is tangible which you and I could touch even today otherwise it would be a case of us being required to believe on faith so God chose as the major miracle of Muhammad may God's peace and blessings be upon him the Quran the message the scripture which was given to him was to be that major miracle as Moses and Jesus and the prophets before had major miracles which had to do with the areas in which the people were specially skilled and which would prove to them outside of the other general miracles that they performed Muhammad may God peace and blessings be on all of the prophets also had a miracle as his major miracle which challenge the very area in which the people excelled and which would last because he was to be the last prophet for all times what we find to understand the miracle of the Quran is that the people of Mecca they were very much in love with prose and poetry they loved it loved it so much that they used to have contests in Ta'if and other parts of Arabia where poets and speakers would gather and they would compete with each other in who was able to express uh, the most eloquent 
of prose as well as that of poetry. And the verses which were considered to be the most excellent were etched in gold and hung on the Kaaba. This was in Mecca. The Kaaba which was built by Prophet Abraham as the first house of worship built and dedicated to the one God built by Prophet Abraham and his son Ishmael. However, over time idolatry overcame the original teachings and purpose of the Kaaba and it became the center of idolatry for Arabia. On the wall of the Kaaba, this house of worship, was placed these poems which were the most eloquent and the most adored by the Arabians. They became like objects of worship. Consequently, the Quran, the revelation came in a style, a literary style which was far beyond anything they had ever heard or had ever dreamed of. It came with a poetic form, a literary style, which did not bring anything which was actually new to them, nothing which they had not experienced before in, in pieces, but it came together in a form which they had never before experienced. A form which they found, in fact, to be inimitable. And they were challenged to imitate it. To prove to them that the Quran was a miracle, that it was, in fact, divine revelation from God, we find verses in the Quran, some of which were read at the beginning of the program wherein God challenged mankind in general the people to whom the revelation first came to produce a Quran like the one which was revealed and the Quran was revealed over a period of 23 years the challenge came in the early days of the revelation. So the challenge was really not for the whole text, but for any portion of the text which people felt they would like to challenge. After some time when nobody met the challenge, that challenge was reduced to ten chapters only of the Quran. And finally, the challenge dropped to one chapter of the Quran. This one was the first verse read by our brother, wherein God says, If you are in doubt about what we have revealed to our slave, Muhammad, then bring one chapter like it, and call as witnesses anyone beside Allah, if you are in truth correct. 
One chapter. One chapter of the Quran which has in it chapters which are only three verses long, three lines long. The one chapter doesn't mean like 50 pages, you know. You have some chapters that are 50 pages, but you also have chapters which are only three lines long. Of course, when we read this in English, those of us who don't know Arabic, when we read this in English, it's kind of difficult to understand how this in, could be a miracle. Because the translation which our brother read for us, it was written by a particular individual back in the 30s, Yusuf Ali. And I'm sure none of us doubts that if we were, if we were to give that same material to Shakespeare or Wordsworth, you know, or one of the great English poets, that he could write a better set of couplets or whatever than what we heard. But the Qur'an is very clear. That that Qur'an is an Arabic Qur'an. It was revealed in Arabic. It's not the English that we read. It is Arabic. So for one to taste the literary greatness or magnificence of the Qur'an, one would need to learn Arabic. Which is not something impossible. If a person really wanted, they could go about and learn it. And I have met, in the course of my travels and different lectures, etc., in different parts of the world, a number of former non-Muslims who studied Arabic for a variety of different reasons. I didn't meet any who were studying Arabic to find the miracle of the Quran. But people who just studied Arabic for, as a second language or whatever, and in the course of the studies, because anybody who has to study Arabic and they want to get into it in depth, to be able to act as a translator or whatever, they have to study at some point something of the Quran. To really to understand the, the best examples of eloquence in Arabic, they have to study the Qur'an. If they don't, you know, then their language will always be, you know, at a lower level. They will not be able to reach the top levels of the language. And so you find in many institutions around the world, Arabic being taught, and in the course of the teaching, Qur'an will have to be looked at. And in the course of these studies, I've met, as I said, a number of people who ended up in studying Arabic, study, reading something of the Qur'an, and being struck by the eloquence of the Qur'an, struck by it so much so that they just had to keep searching and reading more and more until they ended up Muslims. And this is one of the reasons why Islam spread so rapidly in the Arabian Peninsula initially and in the neighboring countries where Arabic was also the language of the people. But for us who may not 
understand Arabic there is another way to understand the miracle of the Quran as a literary miracle from a historical point of view because for the Quran to fill the role of being a literary miracle or being a miracle there has to be one a challenge to people to imitate it two there has to be a need amongst the people to meet the challenge and three there has to be a removal of the obstacles that might be there for meeting the challenge if the Quran fulfills this then it can truly be called a miracle one the challenge I've spoken about the verses in the Quran clear clearly challenging the people to imitate it imitate the whole Quran 10 verses of the Quran or even sorry 10 chapters of the Quran or even one chapter of the Quran which is only three verses long the need to meet the challenge why does there have to be a need to meet the challenge? well because you can have a challenge where there is no need and that challenge becomes a meaningless challenge for example in America back in the 50's actually beginning from the 30's but there was an individual his name was Elijah Muhammad he claimed that he was a prophet of God who had been sent to black Americans and he taught a brand of Islam I don't want to call it Islam which was in fact reverse racism where American society a product of European colonialism had promoted a concept to the non-European peoples, the colored peoples of the world that God was a white man because Jesus is presented in the images as a European he looks like somebody from Spain or France England and people are saying this Jesus is God they are promoting an image of God looking like themselves right? this is that psychological slavery which was put on the people what Elijah did as a reverse you know a reaction to that he said no that's not true in fact God is black you know, just as we have today um, feminists who say God's a woman you know <laughs> uh, whatever uh, he said God is black and in fact white people are all devils he reversed the picture and he further said I challenge any white person to prove that he is not the devil of course the American oh 
we don't know of any white people who got up to prove that they weren't devils because obviously I mean this challenge was meaningless there was no need for white Americans or any white Americans to stand up to prove that he wasn't a devil this was a claim made by a little insignificant individual but for him and his followers this was proof see no white person got up to prove he wasn't a devil so they must be devils such a challenge we say is meaningless because there was not a need in the society to meet the challenge similarly you have uh, one of the founders of Baha'ism the person called the Bab he wrote a book which he called Al-Kitab Al-Aqdas you know the most holy of the scriptures in which he also claimed that if you don't believe because they were an offshoot from Islam they broke off from Islam the Bab etc these were they were raised in Muslim environments and their initial uh, practices etc were all Islamic but they deviated step by step this individual who was you know familiar with the Quran etc he claimed that in his book Kitab al-Aqlas that if you do not believe that this is from God then produce one letter like it no of course they, it was written in Arabic and the letters the alphabetical letters which make up the Arabic alphabet anybody can write it this is so obvious nobody is going to stand up and say well, we're going to prove that uh, this is not uh, a true book from God because we can write a cough like the cough you wrote or an aleph like you know it's nonsensical in fact when the individual was brought to trial he was brought to trial and uh, scholars challenged him on his book and they pointed out all the grammatical mistakes in his book because he made you know many grammatical mistakes he was not an expert in Arabic literature etc he said, well, this is a new divine grammar, you know, this is his answer. But, you know, anybody who had the least knowledge, basic knowledge of Arabic could see that in fact this was, you know, of a very poor standard. As I said, there was no need in the society really to meet the challenge of producing one letter because it was a meaningless challenge. In the case of the Qur'an, what we find is that the message which the Quran brought challenged the whole socio-economic status of Arabia particularly of Mecca and of the Quraysh tribe which controlled that area there was a challenge here why? because Islam called to the fact that the religion which they followed was false that the gods which they had set up were all false and that there was only one God this challenged them because of the fact that Mecca had become the center of idolatry in Arabia all of the tribes that had 
their own personal idols, they had brought them to Mecca and it had become the place of pilgrimage and of worship for all of the pagan uh, tribes of Arabia. What that did for the Quraysh, the tribe which controlled Mecca, was that it made them the middlemen, the guardians of the shrine. And as guardians of the shrine, they received a lot of wealth. They became very wealthy, the most wealthy of the tribes of Arabia, and, and with that came power and status. So what Islam was threatening to do was to destroy their status, to make them equal with everybody else, and to remove any special significance in terms of uh, religious significance in terms of it, Mecca being a center of idolatry, to remove that totally. The remaining tribes would no longer come. Therefore, the economy, the, the, the wealth that they would bring with them would no longer be there. So their whole existence was threatened. There was a need to meet the challenge. And they tried. First, when we see, what did they do? They tried to convince Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessing be upon him, that he should stop the message by offering him first wealth. They said, if, you, if it is that you want to be the most wealthy amongst us, we'll gather our wealth and give all of us give you a portion and make you the most wealthy. If it is women you want, we'll uh, gather the best and most beautiful of our women, you can marry them. We'll even make you the king of Mecca. They tried to offer him whatever they could of the material things, which they thought would naturally motivate a person who would be uh, challenging or, or might motivate the person who was trying to take over leadership. But of course, the Prophet rejected these offers. They tried to talk to his relatives to stop him. The relatives could not. So eventually, they set up a boycott, which ran for over two years, where the Prophet and the members of his clan, which is a, a branch of the Quraysh tribe, they were boycotted from any goods which were coming into Mecca. They were forced to a point of starvation. But in spite of this, they were not able to stop him preaching the message. After failing, they decided that they must then kill him. What they did was they got, they agreed to take young men from each of the sub-clans of the Quraysh tribe, who would together go to his home and kill him, sharing the killing of him. They didn't want to choose just one person because in those days, if one person from one clan killed somebody else, then the whole clan will be against this next clan for the rest of their existence. It would be a feud which would go on for centuries. So they figured, if everybody took part in the killing, then the people of the, the clan of the Prophet would not be able to take on all of the other clans. So they made this arrangement. They tried to kill him, however, 
God commanded him to emigrate from Mecca and he left before they were able to kill him. The very night that they gathered to, to kill him, he left the house, they were unable to catch him. But even that was not enough for them. They sent people after him trying to catch him before he could escape. They sent trackers after him. And after he made it to Mecca, they were not able to catch him on the way. They then sent armies to try to kill him in, Me in Medina, another town which was some five, six hundred kilometers to the north. Battles took place, many people lost their lives, until eventually Islam spread, came back and took over Mecca and they were defeated. Now, this is over a period of some almost 20 years. If all they had to do to defeat him, to prove in fact he wasn't a prophet, was to produce three lines of poetry similar of similar a similar level of eloquence as those in the Quran, any three from the Quran. Of course they would have done that instead of going through all of the various uh, stages, offering him money, position, women, trying to kill him, chasing him, war against him, losing their lives. No need to go through all that if all you have to do is to produce three and it could be done. So from that historical circumstance, we can understand that obviously it was not possible for them to imitate the Qur'an. And this is why you find a number of verses in the Qur'an which address the people, in which the people are quoted as referring to the Qur'an as being magic. Because that was all that was left for them. Being unable to imitate it, the only thing left for them to say is that Muhammad is a magician and the Qur'an is magic. To something beyond their capabilities. This challenge has remained until today and will remain until the last day. The Quran has not changed. Muslims do not say, well, there was a Quran in the time of the Prophet, which is different today, in case you are able to imitate it today. You say, no, it's not the one that came, no. The same Quran which was revealed at that time is the same Quran which was read for you. Now, the challenge is there. Anyone who wishes to prove that it is not divine revelation only has to do that. People have tried and none have succeeded. One thing also to note is that some people might say, well, you know, the reason why the Quran cannot be imitated is because like great poets, Shakespeare, etc., their works are not imitatable. Who can write like Shakespeare? Who can write like Wordsworth? But the point is that there are people who can. Because even Shakespeare and his writings 
scholars are of different opinions as to whether everything that we traditionally ascribe to Shakespeare were actually from Shakespeare. There are other writers who they say, well, possibly some of this was actually his writings. And if somebody were to discover a, or present to the public a uh, document written on ancient paper using ancient ink which was in the style of Shakespeare people would have to accept this as being Shakespeare and we know about you know cases of forgeries which happened in the case of uh, Hitler's diaries and all these other things right and you have right now a number of works which are attributed to some of the major writers which are in question as to their authenticity or not. However, the Quran has a particular style, a style which has made it so easy to memorize that millions around the world have memorized the Quran from cover to cover. A style which is so unique that any time anybody reads anything which is not from the Quran, it is immediately, you know, assignable by people. They can detect it immediately. This is the Quran. Now, there are other areas of miracles in the Quran and um, I've been sort of given the signal to give you an opportunity to ask some questions however before closing off this part of it I should like to at least briefly mention some of the other aspects of the miraculous uh, nature of the God also placed in the Quran certain facts which would challenge people all the way through time. We find a verse in which Allah says, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتُنَا آيَاتُنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُتِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ That we would reveal to them our signs in the horizons in the world and even within themselves until it became clear to them that this Quran was the truth. This is the promise of God in the Quran. And what we have found is that there are a number of verses in the Quran which speak to scientific facts which it is only in modern times that we have come to know about. There are descriptions of the development of the embryo in the womb, descriptions which of, of stages which are only observable under the microscope. Which 
Some people in studying the Quran were so amazed that it drove them or forced them to accept Islam. One example is this uh, doctor, a French doctor, his name is Maurice Bokai. He wrote a book called The Bible, the Quran and Science. He was a Christian uh, medical uh, doctor who did research on the Quran, learning Arabic in depth to understand and studying the Bible, learning Hebrew and Greek, comparing from a scientific point of view. And he, after the course of his studies, concluded that where we find many inconsistencies in the Bible concerning scientific facts related to uh, human existence, creation, etc., what he found was the Quran was consistent throughout its pages in describing various phenomena, scientific phenomena. Nothing which seemed to contradict in any way that which was known as scientific fact. Even some of the latest theories coming about, like the Big Bang Theory and etc., there were verses which were speaking in reference to these things. This was enough for him to make him a Muslim. One of the leading embryologists in Thailand attended a conference about three years ago in which embryology in the Quran was looked at from the point of view of the verses, etc. And he had been invited to, as, as one of the embryologists, leading embryologists in different parts of the world, invited to attend the conference to express their own opinions, etc. After the data was presented to him, he, in the course of the conference, declared his Islam, the acceptance of Islam. So, there is, a, there is enough in the Quran for anybody who would like to, because of our time factor, who would like to, to read further to understand, you know, what the Quran has spoken about with regards to modern science, they can avail themselves, you know, of, of this book and, and read and get the information, compare it to the Quran that they have, read it and see it and make the comparisons for themselves, you know, just to be in a state of, of knowledge, to be aware of what uh, the Quran has spoken of 1400 years ago, which much of which only today we are discovering through the latest developments in technology. So I will stop at this point just uh, briefly alluding to some of the scientific uh, facts which exist in the Quran, which uh, call people to reflect on the divine origin of the Quran and I'm saying this to say that even though we may find in the writings of some of the ancient Greeks or whatever statements which have proven to be true today in terms of uh, scientific facts some people might say well that's the same kind of thing you had people of the past they made statements and some of it came out to be true. But the point is that these same people who made these claims, who made these statements, what you find, they will make one statement or two statements which have turned out to be 
scientific fact. But then you will find along with them colossal blunders. They will have made statements which are totally ridiculous, totally incorrect. Many. They may have one or two which are correct, and many, many, many which are incorrect. Whereas when you look at the Qur'an and the statements that it's made with regards to, to scientific facts, etc., you will find that it is consistent. No errors in it. With regards to scientific facts. So I'll stop at this point and um, I'll give you an opportunity to raise some questions or enter into some discussion uh, concerning this topic. And uh, if we're finished the questions concerning this specific topic, if people would like to ask any general questions concerning Islam, uh, then I would be glad to try to answer them for them. Thank you very much, Brother Bilal, uh, on behalf of all the students here. I, we really enjoyed this uh, lecture and this talk. It was very beneficial lecture for us and hope that everybody who has a question later on either he can ask it right now and be, uh, will be satisfied with the answer or he can discuss more with the, the brother later on. Uh, at this stage, I would like to uh, open the floor for questions. Uh, you can either pass them around if you have written them on a piece of paper or you can uh, get up and uh, just raise your hand and you can ask your question. I ask for, from the people who want to ask their questions to be very brief and uh, straight to the point. May, make your question short and brief and understandable. And I ask also Brother Bilal to do the same with the answer also. InshaAllah. Any questions? Uh, I would like to ask about well, I think before we, you know, go into that, which seems to be, you know, it's a topic which is sort of marginal, and I prefer to a question regards uh, treating people with the Quran. Uh, I think before going into that, which is sort of a, another issue, I mean, I prefer to deal with questions which are more directly related to the miracle of the Quran itself, the actual topic which was presented. So anybody has a question, please don't feel shy, you know. And actually, I would prefer if there are, you know, non-Muslims present here that, uh, you know, uh, that they be given the first opportunity to raise uh, questions because I know sometimes uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters may, you know, they have their own questions which may deal with topics which even go beyond the very basic topic which we are covering here. So if there are any non-Muslims present who would like to ask a question, please, you know, I'd like to give you the first opportunity to express uh, your question or your comments or whatever. No? Okay. Go ahead.
you know, he was wandering around and, and he began to point out his own miracles. And then after that, the scholars seemed like, you know, carrying on his work of highlighting the miracle, miracle of the Quran. Uh, is it uh, because of the person himself that his scholars are not continuing the work? The case of the so-called numerical miracle of the Qur'an, uh, which was proposed uh, most recently by Rashad Khalifa in the United States, he's an Egyptian living in the United States. Um, what he did, or what he claimed to have done, was to have put the Qur'an in the computer, and from analyzing the frequency of occurrence of words and letters in the Quran, he found that 19 seemed to be the miraculous uh, numerical denominator of, of everything in the Quran. That uh, the, the, the verse which precedes all of the various chapters of the Quran, with the exception of the ninth chapter, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim is made up of 19 letters. And each word in that, in that phrase Ism, Allah, Rahman, Rahim are mentioned in the Quran multiples of 19 times. You know, and Allah said in another chapter of the Quran that, you know, over it are 19. And he went, you know, he went on to, to uh, show how uh, even the chapters, we have chapters which are preceded by um, letters uh, like Alif, Lam, Mim, Qaf, certain letters which preceded chapters of whose meaning we don't know. He went on to show that uh, these letters were the chapter which preceded by Qaf, for example. You'll find the letter Qaf is, is, is mentioned in that chapter uh, a multiple of 19 times. You know, and he went through to show this intricate numerical um, uh, system which is interwoven throughout the Quran uh, based on 19. However, from there, as you mentioned, the individual began to make other statements. He claimed in a conference in, in Morocco, or yes, in Morocco, um, that this was in the late 70s, that through this 19 and its multiples, he was able to determine the exact date of the Day of Judgment. You see, and once he said that, then Muslim scholars became very skeptical about what he was saying, right? And uh, furthermore, uh, he went on to, to claim that the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was in fact all fabricated. It is not uh, authentic, that the only authentic thing for us is the Qur'an, and that really the sunnah is fabricated. Furthermore, he then claimed to have discovered... Uh, and that an interpolated verse in the Quran, a verse which was not actually a part of the Quran. Why wasn't it a part of the Quran? Because it didn't match his 19 multiples, you know. And then finally, uh, in about 1985, he claimed that he was in fact a prophet of God, and that his miracle was this 19. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. He, uh, he was later assassinated, maybe about a year later, so he's no longer living. And, uh, but there are people who still um, 
promote his uh, his theories, his ideas. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ahmed Didat, you know, famous uh, Muslim uh, speaker, you know, had in the early stages uh, done a summary of his work and, and, and printed, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies and distributed them around the world, you know, so further promoting his, uh, his, his ideas. However, uh, in fact, the ideas that he has presented, this numerical theory, is in fact false. I did some research myself back in 85, before he claimed prophethood. I did, I was teaching Islamic studies to a grade 10 class at the time, and I had my grade 10s, grade 11s, you know, because the, the Quran was available on computer, you know, do a check on all of the figures that he presented, by computer as well as by visual check. And the result was, when they brought in the results, was that 99% of his claims were false. He had like 1%, which was like the, the letters in Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Yeah, this is clear, you can count 19 there. But when you went to everything else, it was actually, he was just playing. He was playing with the numbers. So the numbers are not authentic. In fact, what he even did in a number of cases, because he also produced his own copy of the Quran, where, you know, he his numbers were all matched at the end of each of the chapters. What he did was he even changed the text of the Quran to try to make it match his multiples. You know? So, I gathered all that data together and um, presented a refutation of his theory. This is back in 85. The book is called The Quran's Numerical Miracle, Hoax or Heresy. You know, anybody would like to get a copy of it, they can contact me afterwards. I'll tell them how to, to get it but in which I have proven systematically all of his arguments are false. And then I went on to show that even this, the idea of numerology, and you have some people who will also uh, go into the Quran from this numerological point of view, where they will use, you know, um, eight, what's it, um, 786, for example, uh, to, to represent Bismillah. This is, has no basis in Islam. It's false. So, his proposals were not followed up, not merely because he himself was an, a deviant and an apostate, but because, in fact, the data which he was presenting was, in fact, false. Okay? Yeah. There were, there were two questions about the number 19, but you answered already, so... Uh, the other question that we have, which is a little bit... Uh, far from the topic, but we'll ask it anyway, is concerning uh, Muslims, male Muslims marrying people of the book or Christians, specifically Christians. So, what does Islam say about this? Uh, I take it this question is from a non-Muslim, and it uh, being so, I will give it uh, an answer before your question, which is probably a little more closer to the topic. Uh, just briefly, uh, we can mention that it is stated in the Quran that it is allowable for a male Muslim to marry a Christian or Jewish woman. And this is in special uh, consideration, or a special consideration which has been given in the case of Christians and Jews because of the presence 
in their scriptures of some of the true revelation of God. This is special consideration given to them because of that fact. Not that the essence of Christianity as it exists today is recognized by Islam, no. It is looked at as being a deviation from the teachings of Jesus as well as the essence of Judaism being a deviation from the teachings of Moses. But there is in the Torah and in the, the Gospels something of the revelation which was revealed to Jesus and Moses and as such uh, the Quran and Islam has made a special allowance in the case of marriage wherein Muslim males may marry Christian females or Jewish females and it's not vice versa because of the fact because some people would ask why is it that Muslim females may not marry Christian and Jewish males and the reason being that the, in the case where a Muslim is married to a Christian if he asks her to be modest not to uh, cook pork in the house or to bring alcohol into the house you know, any of the things that he will ask of her in the home, it will not be against the teachings of her religion. Because Christianity does not insist that people must drink alcohol, or that they must eat pork, or they must dress immodestly. Whereas, in the other case, where a Christian male may be married to a Muslim female, because he is allowed to eat pork, he may then request his wife to prepare pork, which is prohibited for Muslims. He may request his wife to bring alcohol, which is prohibited for Muslims to buy, sell, or drink. Or he may request her to dress like the other women of his family dresses or the society dresses, you know, wearing short skirts or whatever. So she may be required to do a number of things which are against the religion and as such for her protection Islam has limited the allowance of marriage between Christians and Jews to males marrying female Christians uh, since there are not many questions in the miracle of the Quran as the miracle I will ask one myself you allow. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that is asked a lot is uh, when you talk about the miracle, the Quran as a miracle, specifically when you are talking about the literature part of it as being a challenge, especially to the Arab poets in that time. If somebody is born as a non-Muslim right now, and he is born in a non-Arab country, he wouldn't understand this this Quran that you are talking about and the literature, the miracle part of it uh, from the literature point of view because he doesn't know Arabic and he's born non-Arab, he's born non-Muslim how would you explain to him that the Quran is really a miracle from Allah Azza wa well this was what the last part of my presentation was about you know explaining from a historical point of view that that person who does not understand Arabic but as understood, he can read the history of the life of the Prophet, what he went through. That can show that if this 
Quran had been imitatable, if it was possible to imitate it, then the people to whom the Prophet was initially sent, who knew the language, who were at the height of excellence uh, or eloquence in their language, if they were capable of imitating, they surely would have done so, rather than go through all the struggles that they went through to try to stop him. So this is sort of a historical evidence which, you know, a person can, can see obviously indicates that the Qur'an could not have been imitated. But to, to understand the actual miracle from its own literary sense, one would have to learn Arabic to do that. But the thing is that it is possible. I mean, it is still not something which is impossible. If a person wished to do so, it is still possible. But as I said, the historical evidence is also sufficient proof for a person, if they look at it, you know, honestly looking at the situation, seeing that there was a need to meet the challenge, and people did not meet it. Uh, that it obviously was something which was beyond their capability of imitating. There is, there is another question here, that says, why do you, why do you refer to uh, Prophet Jesus, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him blowing light into clay birds Don't, do not we as Muslims believe that only God creates life so how can these phenomena be explained well it's explained in the Quran that when Jesus did this he said that this was by the will of Allah that's how it is simply explained it's not that he was in fact uh, blowing and cr making this bird living. It was God who was making it living through the acts that he was doing. He clarified to the people that this was not him doing it of himself, but God's uh, miracle, God's power, which was bringing this bird to life through, his through, his, uh, through him as an instrument. Just as when he you know, brought a dead person back to life, and we believe that only God can bring the dead back to life, resurrection, this is the power of God alone. That this was Jesus explaining to the people that it is through the will of God, through the power of God, that this person is coming back to life as I touch him, for example. Okay, we can uh, go to our question of our brother concerning the, the Quran. Um, the using the Quran as a cure for sicknesses people Muslims have historically recited the Quran over people who have been sick and people a number of people over the centuries have been cured this was done in the time of the Prophet Muhammad where some of his companions had done so and reported back to him and he sanctioned it. He, they had recited over a person who was uh, in a state of madness, he was crazy. They recited over him or a person who was stung by uh, a, what is it, a scorpion, quite sick. And on a number, as I said, a number of occasions, this has happened from the time of the companions to today. Sanctioned by the Prophet Muhammad, may Allah peace and blessings be upon him. It's not to say that it is a, an alternative in the sense that uh, if we have 
develop certain medicines which deal with certain sicknesses that we do not use these medicines now we say we just have to rely on the Quran no because the Prophet ﷺ had also stated that you know for every sickness God which God has created he created a cure along with it except for old age so we are invited to treat our sicknesses with the medicines that we have and uh, the Prophet ﷺ had also stated that we should treat our sicknesses but not treat them with that which Allah has made haram so we have certain limitations with what we use for treatment but at the same time uh, to recite Quran over those who are sick uh, to when we give them medicines or if we don't have any you know we've tried everything else or whatever you know the use of the Quran recitation of the Quran you know praying dua etc uh, supplication for people who are sick this is also recognized in Islam as part of the method for treating uh, sicknesses by the will of God In terms of everything uh, created having a particular benefit to mankind, I wouldn't agree with that statement because if that were the case, 
then we wouldn't have prohibited things. Everything would be halal for us. Part of the test of this life is that God has created some things which are harmful to us. Harmful on various levels. Maybe as individuals or as society, you know, psychologically, physically, in a variety of different ways. And He has prohibited us from taking those things. As He has created the vast majority of things for our benefit. So, there is not every, in everything that is created in the, you know, on earth or in the plants, etc., necessarily a benefit. You know, I just, uh, this is just a point I just like to, you know, raise relative to that. And in terms of the Quran itself, uh, the use of the Quran in terms of recitation, we know quite well that it's not just the physical act of reciting the Quran or playing it over a tape recorder, etc., which is going to necessarily have an effect on the persons. Those on whom the Qur'an is being recited, for one, uh, have to have certain conviction within themselves. Those who are reciting have to themselves be conscious of what they're reciting and, you know, doing it with full sincerity and, and faith, etc. I mean, there are other factors which have to be added along with the... Uh, recitation of the Qur'an for Allah to allow this to, to be of benefit I mean traditionally or, or from practice of Muslims through the ages this is what uh, has been concluded us, and at the same time for the purpose of uh, testing our own faith 
you know, and, and developing our own commitment and submission to God. Uh, if there are not any other questions, but uh, we should stop here. Well, let's ask if uh, there are any more. Yeah, if there are not any more. <laughs> are there any other questions? Are there any more questions that you want to ask? Oh, go ahead. What is that? What does Islam say about other religions? Um, Islam teaches that there is only one true religion, and that is Islam. Well, the miracles of Moses and the earlier prophets, etc., this is all looked at as being part of the miracles of Islam. Because uh, the true prophets of God, according to Islamic view, the true prophets of God were all Muslims. They all taught Islam. And Islam means submission to the will of God. So that Moses, what Moses taught was Islam. What Abraham taught was Islam. He called people to submit and to worship God alone. So the miracles that came to them were miracles from God which we accept and we believe in. But uh, you may find, for example, today a variety of religions around the world, though we are taught in the Quran that God sent to every nation and tribe prophets, messengers who called the people to the worship of God in time the teachings of those prophets became distorted so you found now people in latter generations attributing to these earlier people things which really they didn't teach or they didn't practice and wherever you find religions which call people to worship the creation of God, this is looked at as being a deviation from the teachings of the prophets. Only in Islam is the worship of God in the pure sense uh, emphasized at all in all practices, upheld worship of God alone, without worshiping His creation or through His creation, you know, as intermediaries or anything. It is man worshiping God directly, and this is what we believe was the teachings of all of the prophets. So. Where there are true prophets, Islam is looked at as being their religion. It is a universal religion. It's not restricted. We do not look at Islam as having begun, you know, 1400 years ago in Arabia by Muhammad. May God peace and blessing be upon him. No. We look at Islam as coming with Adam. When Adam came to earth being the first man, he was also the first man and first prophet. That his descendants, his children, etc., he taught them the worship of the one true God. Any more questions? Okay. Thank you. Okay.
Well, in this regard, I wouldn't consider this myself, you know, to be the miraculous aspect of the Qur'an, because this is consistent with the teachings of the earlier prophets. This existed uh, in the teachings of Moses, when he taught the people in terms of the commercial aspects, the social, the legal, all the various aspects. It's in that revelation also. You know, and, and it is as much, if you're going to call that miraculous, it is as much miraculous in the time of Moses as it was in the time of Muhammad. May God peace and mercy upon them both. So I would not argue that point. The point which is specifically stressed in the Quran itself is the literary aspect of the Quran. The fact that it is inimitable. The teachings themselves are not claimed to be new. You see, if the teachings were the, were the miracle, then you'd have to say the teachings are inimitable, and it's not the case. The teachings are consistent with the teachings of the prophets from the time of Adam. So that is consistency, showing that it is a part of the same revelation. It is not new. But the, the, and revelation itself is not new, because revelation came to the earlier prophets. But what it was new about this final revelation was that God sent it in a form which was inimitable. Preserved it as he, never, he did not preserve the messages before. They were complete for the time in which they were sent. They were complete for the time in which they were sent. I mean, God did not send them with something which was not <laughs> sufficient, was not what they needed. Like they're, they're, they needed completion, no. For the time in which they were sent, the circumstance, etc., they were complete. But it was limited to that period of time. Uh, are there any more questions? Brother is uh, asking me to, to stop at this time. On behalf of the organizing committee here, I thank Brother Bilal to be here with us to teach us about many things that we learned today and hope to continue on learning. And I thank all the presents here and hope that they can join us for the remaining of the uh, uh, program today and also during the schedule of Brother Bilal He's going to stay here for the coming week also. We have a schedule uh, upstairs that you can take a look at and if you can come over to on, uh, the other lectures that he's going to give uh, in many places during this week, you are welcome to attend and if you have any questions, comments, you can talk to us and talk to him also about that. Uh, before closing, I would like to make uh, uh, two announcements. The first one is concer uh, concerning a short course that uh, Imam Abdul Qudus is giving at Holland Park Mosque that he asked me to announce here, it will be given tomorrow on the uh, on Hajj specifically between uh, uh, 10 a.m. in the morning to 2 p.m. and lunch will be provided. Uh, it will be given at Holland Park Mosque. The and, second and, and and I will also be yeah helping in the uh, presentation. Of yeah, that. brother. Yeah, brother. Uh, Bilal Phillips will be also uh, in that meeting and. Uh, 
you, are, if you want to join us tomorrow, it would be very good. The second announcement is uh, the, about the general meeting that the Independent Islamic Sisterhood Association is, uh, are having. It's set up for Saturday, May 22nd at 2 p.m. at Dara Mosque. So I have the sisters here who know about it to join and. Uh oh yeah, yeah. Part of this series or part of the lectures that Brother Bilal Phillips is giving is going to be uh, at the uh, University of Queensland. Specifically, the topic will be the fundamentals of Islamic monotheism. Uh, it will be held at the Psychology Lecture Theatre, number three, on Tuesday, May 11, between 1 and 2 p.m. Yeah, Physiology Lecture Theatre. Yeah, uh, I'll give a chance to... Uh, Brother, we've, uh, sisters, we've got some refreshments, and after refreshments, inshallah, we will pray. Our mosque is not that big. We'll take time to pray, inshallah. Why do we pray here? Pray here, but we've got mosques in there. We have opened them. Okay, fair. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا الصبر سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.